All right, welcome to the Friday show. Uh, Peter Klein here on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you very much for downloading. Please remember, rate, review, and subscribe. Not gonna go with the regular combat uh, edition of the program today. A bit of a quieter time in the, the combat sports world right now. I know Lomachenko was fighting this weekend. We've kind of talked about him a little bit before, but uh, with everything going on with Euro and quite frankly, uh, getting ready for dog stuff, there just hasn't been quite the time to uh, fit in as much pro wrestling and MMA watching as I would like to do to have a, a proper show. So I'll come back strong with that next week, I promise. Uh, in the meantime, you can check me out with the Okotoks Dogs coming up Saturday and Sunday. Just click watch live on dogsbaseball.ca. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and search Couch Potato Diary on YouTube. Uh, this show, pretty basic. We are getting into Euro 2020, the knockout stage. So round of, I was going to call it group of 16. That would be incorrect. Round of 16 preview with Sandra Brasina is yours now. We are now into the round of 16 at Euro 2020, the 2021 edition. Uh, she did such a great job breaking things down to begin with. I'm bugging her again as we welcome in Sandra Brasina to help us break down the uh, knockout stage of Euro 2020. Sandra, how are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the kind words. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Um I guess before we get into the the bracket and, and how it shakes up, because holy crap. But um, before we get into that, I guess your overall thoughts on, on what we saw from the, the group stage in this tournament. Anything kind of stand out to you? Group F did not disappoint. And the fact that that really went all the way down to the wire, you got to feel so bad for Hungary because it looked like possibly they were going to be that third team that moves on. But like we say in any sport, every minute, every second, every play matters. So unfortunately, they're on the outside looking in. And I have to say, if they were in any other group, they'd actually be into the knockout stage. So that was fantastic. Obviously, we got to talk about Denmark and what happened there on that opening weekend and mm -hmm. how the team rallied in the absence of Christian Eriksen and just everything that happened there in the soccer world in general, you know, not with I don't want to sound super philosophical and kumbaya about the whole thing, but I mean, it really, you, you stop and you think and you just listen and what happened with the chanting of his name. And just, I thought that was uh, quite special. Uh, I think the favorites came out as the favorites after all was said and done. And it was really interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but to me, Italy impressed, I think, more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's actually where I was going to go next. Like, in we we had a pretty good idea France was going to be very good in this thing. Um, and I, I'm happy you brought up Hungary because we, I, I had kind of thought going in, like, they're basically here just to get their ass kicked. And they, I, I'm with you, like any other group, and that they probably hold up pretty well. But Italy, we, we talked in the, uh, the, the preview show about how this was kind of a, hey, Welcome back, Italy. Um, and, and they certainly just kind of kicked the door in when it came to that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's putting it mildly. Didn't even <laughs> concede a goal over three matches. And in their third match, because they had essentially already clinched top spot in that group, they were able to play their non-starters. And listen, that starting 11 could be a starting 11 on another team. They were just so, so fantastic to watch. A great brand of ball, too. So... They are head and shoulders to me above everybody else. I don't, you mentioned France. I don't think France has quite hit its stride just quite yet, but when it does, 
like, whoa, look out. But yeah, for me right now, Italy, absolutely the favorite going into this knockout stage. Yeah. And the, the, the issue for Italy, and we'll get to the bracket in a second, but just their, their side of things is ridiculous in terms of uh, like who they're going to have to face if they are eventually going to be the ones hoisting that trophy. Uh, before we get into that, um, in terms of players who have kind of stood out to you, like uh, a couple of years ago, it was Mbappe making his entrance onto the world scene. H- has there been any of those breakthrough candidates for you? That's kind of a, okay, now this is another level that you have taken. You know what? I'm actually going to say no. I think a lot of the favorites or the players that we know, they're the ones doing things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll go back to Croatia. I know the team's ins and outs, but everybody was waiting for Luka Modric to do something. And then he did. And everyone's like, oh yeah, he was the world's best player just a couple of years ago. Cristiano Ronaldo he leads the, the tournament in scoring. Oh yeah, he's pretty good. So I think we're waiting for somebody like Kylian Mbappe. You could see flashes of him mm-hmm. doing amazing things. But I remember a couple of those goals, uh, there was a couple of offside calls and things like that. So we're just waiting for him I think to explode, but I would say the best players are being the best players. And that's why we're seeing the round of 16 that we are. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy you said that because I, I asked that not having an answer to it. Like if, if you would have asked me the same question, I wouldn't have, because like you said, like the, the best players in this tournament are like 36 years old so far with Modric yeah. and, and with Ronaldo. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a really good thing for soccer because we can see these guys on on the world stage. Who knows what's going to happen with the World Cup? Will some of them decide to maybe hang up their cleats by then? So to see them potentially go out this way and seeing that they still can play some really good ball, I think that's fantastic for the game. And uh, as far as Croatia is concerned, that, that first game, uh, probably not the way you wanted that to go. Um, but, but aside from that, how, how do you think Croatia handled things in the group stage? One, one and one, I think is fair. Uh, mm-hmm. I expected a little bit more versus the Czech Republic. And with Scotland, finally, I think we got to see that Speaking of best players being best players, you see what the quality that Luka Modric still has, despite his age and being, you know, people saying he's in the twilight of his career. But I don't know if he's there quite yet, but he's still one of the top class midfielders. And when he starts patrolling and you leave him open at the top of that 18 yard box, I mean, he's just he's so good. And the way that he scored that goal, uh, goal, excuse me, with like the top of his foot, like what? (laughs) Yeah. Like, like incredible. It's just like something from a video game. So I think Spain and Croatia is probably going to be one of those. You've got to watch matches in this round of 16, as well as Belgium and Portugal that I'd say top my list, England and Germany. But the neat thing with Croatia and Spain, both of these teams still trying to find their footing, I think. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're moving through generations. Are the young players, uh, are they at this, you know, period where they can finally latch on and, and let the other players retire. So it'll be interesting. I think it will be very, very close. And for Spain, those first two games, people wondering, hey, can this team score? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then they explode for five goals versus Slovakia. So, yeah, I guess they can score. <laughs> that that Croatia-Scotland game, I I, I found the, the coverage of that a little bit interesting. because, And I understand 
while we are all professional, I guess I'm not anymore, but everyone covering a professional broadcasters. Um, and, and so you're going to try to keep some of the biases out, but it did kind of seem like there was maybe more credit going towards Scotland than there should have been. And then you hear the accents talking about it. It's like, well, maybe that's why, but like, I, it just, it really <laughs> seemed like Croatia had a much better grasp on that game than a lot of the commentators wanted to believe that they did. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think you just think how long Scotland had waited to be at a major tournament. So I get it. Right. Because as somebody as somebody with Croatian heritage, we almost take it for granted, knowing that normally Croatia is going to be in these tournaments. So I put myself in the shoes of those fans and, and of those commentators who are relaying those pictures to the faithful and I get it. And as the game progressed and as Luca kind of took over things, uh, the, the audience and the fans sort of died down. So did the rah-rah commentary. And then it was just focused on the actual game. And yeah. I got to hand it to the Scots. I mean, s- such sportsmanship after that game and from both the fans and the players giving kudos to Croatia, that was really, that was really nice to see. So now getting into the, the knockout stage of this, and we, we talked before, like Group F was the group of death in, in this tournament going in. Now there's a side of death because you, you look at this bracket, um, one of these halves looks a lot different than the other. Uh, I, I guess, first of all, am I not giving enough credit to the, uh, the, the Sweden-Ukraine side of things, or does this really look as lopsided uh, uh, to you as it does to me? Yeah, no, I'm with you a hundred percent. And I'm just thinking like you're, like you said, you're looking at that one side and you're like, well, there's so many strong players on the left, uh, excuse me, strong teams on the left. And then you look at the right and you're like, hmm, Germany and England probably salivating yeah. at the opportunity of their road to a potential final meeting. And then you look at the left side of that bracket, like Belgium, Portugal, so you've got the top-ranked team in the world versus the team that won it five years ago. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough to say, yeah, that right side is looking uh, pretty tasty for some teams. Yeah, it, it really does. And again, like we, we talked about in the, the, the last show that we did, like the, the Netherlands are coming back to prominence, uh, but they're, they're not at the spot that they were 10 years ago. It, it really does seem like that England-Germany game is kind of to decide that part of the group. Much like England against Croatia, we, we kind of thought was going to be who's going to win that group. It now kind of feels like England against Germany is basically just the semifinal from that side. And then you, you just hope they don't slip on a banana peel. Yeah, essentially. And like you said, uh, that's no disrespect to the Dutch. They actually looked pretty solid throughout that group stage play. But this, for me, I just look at it and this is England or Germany's to win that yeah. side of the bracket and eventually face whoever and whoever they face from the other side. Obviously, you've got Belgium, Portugal. Then from there, that winner has to face Italy. So then you have France potentially facing Croatia or Spain. And, and again, I don't mean disrespect to Switzerland or to Austria, but we're just looking at the favorites here. And yeah, that yeah. is deep, deep. <laughs> Yeah, like on, on the one side, it feels like there are two teams who could could win this whole thing, England and Germany. And then on the other side, it feels like there's two teams that can't. And aside yeah. from like if if Belgium ends up winning this, if Croatia ends up winning this, if Spain continues on that momentum and they end up winning this, like you, you can see a world where everyone on the left side is like, yeah, totally. That, that could happen. And on the right, like 
I just, I don't see it for Wales. I just don't. No. And <laughs> if I were to say pick a team that's riding a bit of wave of momentum, I'd probably look at Denmark because mm, yeah. they have things off of the pitch that are really, really motivating them. And they were able to do that. And they put together a fantastic performance, just putting aside what happened in that opening match. They have bigger things to play for. So does that play a factor? I think of, I look at the World Cup a couple of years ago, and I think back to Croatia, and it was able to peak at the right time and make it all the way to the final. So maybe Denmark will do the same thing. So going through the, these matchups now, well, we will start Wales against Denmark. Uh, do you think that momentum is enough to, to carry them past Wales here? Yes, I do. Because, yeah. I mean, if Gareth Bale probably hasn't had the best tournament, and especially you think to that PK that he sent <laughs> sky high, I just I don't think Wales has what it takes. So I say Denmark gets through that one for sure. Just a quick note on on Bale. Um, do you think that this is just like he's having a bad couple of weeks or is this kind of the the start of a, a fall from grace from a, a guy who had a, a bit of a, a stretch there as one of the best players on the planet? Yeah, I just think it's been a bad year for him. Obviously, yeah. has been on the outs and wasn't even starting professionally. And he wasn't making that top 11 there. So I just think... And it, this happens to players at this level, right? You hit a bit of a wall. So I thought maybe if he had a strong tournament, it would propel him at least to potentially know that he could get another great professional gig somewhere and not be on, you know, on the bench of Real Madrid wondering when he's going to play again. So I'd probably say this has not really solidified the future for Gareth Bale, at least not right now. Netherlands against the the Czech Republic. Um, the, the Czech Republic able to make it through that this will be one of the, the bigger matches they play. Um, but it does just on the surface for me, it looks a little bit lopsided to, toward the Netherlands. Do you believe that there could be a, a Czech Republic upset here? No, absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to, if anyone uh, that's Czech. We're big in the Czech Republic. So this, this yeah, is going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, once you shut down Patrick Schick, then who else is going to score? Right. Yeah. So that's just the way that I look at it. Uh, I'm going to skip over the main event of this side and go to to Sweden against Ukraine. We we talked, uh, knows Latin potentially a a problem for Sweden, but uh, apparently not as they're into the the round of 16. How how do you see this one going down? They're known for parking the bus. That's all they got to do. They went two and one in the group stage. I thought they played really well. And it's just, they're a very, very defensive team. So they could potentially even go on a run if I know parking the bus is an ugly style of soccer, but listen, if it gets things done, it gets things done. Ukraine to me, uh, we talked about it earlier. If Hungary was in another group, that would be Hungary's spot. So Mm -hmm. that's the way that I see that. Uh, And finally on this side, England against Germany. Um, This is kind of the, like I said, it's, it's the, the clear main event on, on this side, England, Seems to be playing pretty well, but the, the German side really, and I, I'm coming from this with a, a great amount of bias, uh, just <laughs> listen to my last name, but yeah. I, I, I was much more impressed by Germany than I was anticipating being. I, I kind of thought like, okay, this is the last hurrah. And then they come out against Portugal and is, oh, they're, they're controlling this. This is lovely. Yeah. Um, so I, I was not expecting that from Germany. Uh, so I, I honestly have no idea with this one. So I, I will leave it up to your expertise. Yeah, you know what? You and I are on the same page. This is a toss-up to me. Have we seen the best of Germany? Have we at least seen the best of England? I don't know. 
-hmm. And there's so many questions here. Has, is this where Germany peaks? Has, when is England going to peak? I mean, the expectations were so, so high. It, they always are with England. Right. But this is going to be a fantastic match. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. I don't like to say, I don't know when we're broadcasting or talking about sports, but this is one of those things. I don't know. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm not like doing a bracket challenge or, or anything like that. Cause yeah, not a clue on that one. Um, some much more challenging ones on the other side as well. As I, I don't know if we have to do a whole lot on Italy, Austria and, and France, Switzerland. Um, congratulations to the two countries who have red and white representing them. But <laughs> it, it does kind of feel like they are going to get soundly and thoroughly beaten. Is there either one of them that you think like of the two, which one has the better chance to, to kind of upset the apple cart here? I guess I'd probably say Switzerland. Uh, Shakiri is a fantastic player known for just scoring these highlight reel goals. He's that mighty mouse, small player, ferocious. So I think he could be a difference maker versus France. In terms of Austria and Italy, no. Italy to me is head and shoulders the favorite here. If they have yeah. yet to concede a goal, they're not going to concede one to Austria. Um, sorry, I, I just remembered another question I had about the, the England-Germany game. Do you think that game being in London plays any kind of a factor? Yeah, that's a good question. I was kind of pondering that because Croatia opened its tournament at Wembley versus England. And I think I, I, I haven't even checked what the restrictions are going to be there now. Are they letting full capacity or? Oh, what? that's a question that a good host so, would know the answer to. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm actually not sure either. So I think that to me is a bit of an X factor. Mm -hmm. It just feels like the two teams are so close, right? Like if there's anything yep. that can tip the scales one way or the other, even a little bit, that could be the, the deciding factor, right? Sure. And how many people are potentially traveling? I mean, it's not a far distance to go, let's say, from Paris to London. So right. or sorry, from uh, like, like, let's say Frankfurt or somewhere to London. So mm -hmm. easy to travel in Europe. So how many German fans will be there? So that to me is going to be a huge, huge factor in that game. Uh, OK, I'll stop focusing on the German side now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Belgium against Portugal. It. it it almost has a feel like, I don't know if we're going to get to a point where Lukaku is on the same stage as Ronaldo. Um, if he gets the abs, maybe, but um, like this kind of does feel like it could potentially be a bit of a, a passing of the torch moment here with Belgium taking on Portugal. Aside from the one that my country of origin uh, is involved in, this might be the game that I'm the most intrigued by in this round of 16. Yeah. Lukaku is, is a, just a fantastic player to watch so complete and and this is no disrespect to Cristiano Ronaldo but how many of his goals have been scored from open play like what are I think three of them are PKs right so and and of course he's that's his bread and butter but take those away I actually think that Lukaku is probably the player to more so keep your eye on and I I've noticed that Belgium is more of a complete team when they play I, I worry often with Portugal that they're constantly trying to feed him the ball and he can get really frustrated when it, with his teammates when he's not receiving the ball, mm -hmm. at least not to his liking. So to me, Belgium is the favorite. I don't think Portugal is the same team from the previous Euro. So I would, you know, put my hat in Belgium cor Belgium's corner. Um, and just kind of projecting ahead, that would face them, uh, that, that would have them facing Italy in the, the next round, which, oof. Um, but do you like how, I guess, how would Belgium win that? Um, with us kind of looking at, at Italy as one of the, the clear favorites right now, how, how does oh. a, a Belgium side attack that aside from 
like hoping someone sprains an ankle or something. That's tough because I think Italy depth wise is actually the deepest team here. So mm. I don't know how you shut Immobile and, and everybody down. I just don't know how you do it because if you do, there's going to be somebody on the bench equally as talented who can put the ball in the back of the net. If, right. if anything, at least with Courtois, he has been challenged in the tournament Whereas with the Italian backline and the Italian goalkeeping, maybe they haven't been challenged enough. So you could perhaps catch them in a, in a sense where they're not fully focused because they haven't had to play that level as Belgium already has. So that'll be a little bit of a factor there. I think if you catch them napping or sleeping on that back line, potentially, right. maybe that's how you do it. Um, and Croatia against Spain, uh, understanding, uh, again, we, we are professional broadcasters, but potentially a bit of bias on this one, uh, Croatia against Spain. How, how do you see this one going down? Yeah, this is going to go the way that Luka Modric goes. If he okay. commands okay. this game, I think Croatia wins and he is just, he's a maestro and he's played with a lot of those Spanish players. He's had such a long tenure at, at Real Madrid. They're playing in a more neutral venue. They'll be in Copenhagen. So that to me is interesting, but I think if Spain can shut down Luca and the rest of the Croatian midfield, that would be the way for them to win. Have you seen someone with the ability to step up? Because like, even if Modric does go on a, a phenomenal run here, um, th this is still probably like one of the last two tournaments where we're going to, to see him in at, at the most. Have you seen someone with Croatia who can kind of take that ball from him, no pun intended, and kind of run with it after um, his international career is done? Not really. And mm. that, that's the unfortunate truth. I think uh, right now, Ivan Perisic is playing really well, but he's also on that those last legs of his international career. In the midfield, I just don't know if anybody can really take over and dominate in all three sections of the pitch as Modric can and does. So those are some very, very big shoes to fill. And I don't really know. I don't know who's going to do it. That's a that's a really good question. And Croatia is going to have to look in deep and, and see who's ready for that role. But for right now, I don't think there's anybody that can do it. And to be fair, for right now, they don't need anyone else. If to your point, if he is going, then that is, I mean, probably all they need for Spain. But how, like, how confident would you be in a, a matchup against France in the next round? I don't think I would be, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, France is just too deep. And I don't think yeah. we've seen the best of Kylian Mbappe quite yet. Antoine Griezmann has already looked quite good. Benzema finally scoring. So I think France uh, is a very formidable opponent so it, it is interesting that like the the two the two teams that we kind of feel would be the favorites in this are going to have to play each other in essentially the, the tournament semi-final here if we do get to this kind of clash of the titans for this year with italy and france it, it certainly has sounded like italy would be your pick yeah i'd say so yeah they are riding a great wave and yeah. I just love the depth of that squad. France, of course, very, very deep, not too far removed from winning the World Cup, but something, Italy has got this sparkle in its eye, extra motivation after not going to the last World Cup, like, like you talked about before, they hit that dip, and now they're really peaking at the right time. 
Uh, as far as soccer in this country is concerned, the we, we are getting into Olympic season, the Canadian uh, women's team releasing their roster. And as with most of these, it's not as much about who is on the roster as who isn't on the roster. Uh, and in this case, it is Sophie Schmidt, who's, who appears to be getting some of the, the focus in, in that sense. Uh, I guess your, your reaction to A, that decision, and then your reaction to the reaction, I suppose. Yeah, I'm actually surprised in a good way and a bad way on a personal level, just because she's been with the program since 2004, over 200 caps, back-to-back Olympic gold medals, just such a reliable, reliable player. So that disappointment disappoints me on a personal level because, it, you know, she's essentially going to probably retire from international soccer really soon. But then as just a fan of soccer, a fan of the team, The fact that finally this program is getting away from sentimentality and thanks for what you've done for me in the past. So I'm just going to give you a spot on the roster. The Olympic roster is only 18 players compared to 20 some that you take to a World Cup. So you need to be very, very precise with the players that you pick for this tournament. It's fast. It's a small tournament. And for you to make it to the knockout stages, a lot of things need to go right. So for Bev Priestman to be like, okay, I need the best players who are playing the best right now. She made a tough decision. She said earlier this week, she was on a media call and said that call was the toughest of her career to call Sophie Schmidt and say, I'm, I'm sorry. Like she's going to take her as an alternate. And we know that alternates obviously sometimes don't see a sniff of the pitch in a tournament. But then on mm-hmm. the other side, I go back to 2012, Canada had some serious injuries there. And two of the alternates got on the field and they made a difference and Canada ended up with a bronze. So you never know. So she says she trusts Sophie to be ready and I'm sure she'll she'll take that task to heart and be ready for this team, whether it be just as a cheerleader or somebody that does end up playing some minutes. Well, and one of the themes of this conversation has been depth. And when you look at, as you mentioned, this tournament, uh, a bit more of a sprint than it is a marathon compared to, to something like we're seeing right now with Euro. It does feel like if your depth is going to be challenged, and certainly while all of these are high level athletes, this has not been a, a normal run up and lead up to, to an Olympic Games. Who knows who we've seen in every other sport that we, we've had some injuries when you have a, a few games in a, a shorter amount of time like that, that depth could be something that is challenged, not just for Canada, but for everyone, just based on the circumstances around this whole tournament. Yeah. And that means your decision-making for those alternates needs to be point on. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think every coach that you ask at the Olympics will say the exact same thing, be like, we haven't prepared the way we want to prepare. Normally they would play a slew of friendlies going into the Olympics. Yeah. The professional season has started, but it hasn't been out for very long. We saw earlier this year, Christine Sinclair got injured because she hadn't have played anything and she's older now. So yeah, you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. You have to have that depth. You have to have players that can play in a few different positions, which I think the roster that Bev Priestman selected allows her to do that. She has a couple of players who can be fullbacks. They can be moved into the midfield. And she specifically honed in on Janine Becky, who I've got to do a shout out to. She's been phenomenal on TSN's coverage for Euro. She can also, she's known as a striker, but she can also come back as a midfielder. So Canada's got the variety of depth to move players up and down the lineup, up and down positions. And that's really crucial when you go into the Olympics. Just a quick note. I, I wasn't planning on going here, but the having um, 
having people on the commentary and we've seen it with the, the NBA and with uh, TSN's coverage of March Madness. We've seen it with, with Sportsnet's coverage of hockey where we've had a number of women's players on there that that type of support, like it, it feels like it, it's just kind of a little thing, but that sort of, uh, I guess, exposure, it, it feels like it's kind of a huge thing when you, you look at the grand scheme of things. And like to the point where we uh, in our household are getting into the WNBA for the, the first time. And we picked our favorite team based off of Kia Nurse because we watched her on Raptor games every night like that. It, it, it's just like it's just that small introduction, but it can mean uh, just you become familiar with that person and that leads to potentially a lifetime of fandom. Like I, it, like I said, it, it feels like it should just be a small thing, but it's a really, really big thing. So I, I guess maybe just a, a comment on that. Yeah, I'm with you. Representation matters and visibility mm -hmm. matters. And we talk about that a lot and women's sport as a whole is still very, very niche. Uh, other than the Olympics, when we talk about, let's say women's hockey, that, that takes uh, center stage and people pay attention, but that only happens every four years. So that's why it's really good to see these women uh, yesterday, or was it the day before? So yeah, I was watching hockey and Jennifer Bottle, I had to go look up three Olympic medals, Cassie, or three golds, sorry. She has four medals in total, uh, three of them gold. Cassie Campbell, three in total, two of them gold. I mean, where do you find where else can you find that kind of talent, those people with so much experience, the things that they've seen on the stage and the things that they know about this sport and yeah. how hard that they've worked to actually just play. And the fact that they're able to be on these broadcasts, it's huge. And I think for Janine Becky, because she is a current player, I think that's that really adds to that exclamation point because she plays in Europe. She plays for Manchester City. And a lot of people will be like, well, oh, I know the guy's Manchester City. Yeah, coached by Pep, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, mm -hmm. Janine plays for the, the women's counterpart, and she's a very, very good player there. And she's been an excellent addition to the Canadian roster for many years now. She's one of the top goal scorers. So people will pay attention. And she sounded so poised and knowledgeable. You see how well she reads the game and how she describes it to an audience that might be just a very... Um, not lap soccer follower, but a new soccer follower, somebody that's just taking on the sport because maybe they're at home working from home and it's on TV and they want to watch. So she's explaining it in a way that anybody can follow it. And I think that's so, so huge. So like you said, visibility absolutely matters. I thought Kia did a fantastic job too. We'll give her a shout out. Um, and I just think this is uh, essentially the tip of the iceberg because I wonder about somebody like Christine Sinclair and she's soft-spoken, but once you get her talking about soccer, listen, she's at the last few years of her career. Maybe that's a potential hope for her. Maybe she doesn't right. want to coach. Maybe she wants to become an analyst. So I could see her on a men's broadcast. Absolutely. And yeah, it's like that. That's one of the things too, is that like what we talk about, like trying to, to get more opportunities for women to play just in sports. But now it's like when, when the career is done, it'd be nice if they, they didn't just have to go back to, I guess, civilian life is the best way to, to put it and have those other opportunities. Uh, another one who I thought was phenomenal was Candace Parker on uh, Inside the NBA, which is like one of the highest rated sports desk shows on the planet. And like, she's not only showing how much she knows, but you have Shaq who 
my perception of him has greatly decreased with, with him being on that desk, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, and, and she is like basically putting him in his place week after week as he comes with some of these like antiquated ideas. So yeah. you not only are showing like a, like the, these people have a great grasp of the sport that you are watching, but also there might be people who believe the same stuff as Shaq and now, Hey, this is how you respond. And this is why what you're thinking is actually really, really stupid. Yeah. Uh, having people like that there, Candace is a really great example. You stop, you listen. I find myself, I do that a lot with, with Doris Burke. I think she's mm, just yeah. so good at her job. And when she says something, it, it's very poignant almost. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I realize she's not currently a player or anything, but her experience of covering the game is just so, so huge. And those are more voices that we need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sandra, thank you very much for this. I, I really, really do appreciate it. This was a, a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I, I'm so excited for, as I mentioned, about 75% of this round of 16. There's a couple games that I'll probably skip, if I'm being honest. But for the most part, that this is going to be a fun run to the finish. And I think the most fun part of it is I have no idea how most of this is going to turn out. It's, it really does feel very unpredictable. Yeah, you and I both, I use that uh, shrugging shoulders emoji. That's right. how I feel about it. I'm like, well, we'll see. And that means <laughs> we're probably in for some really good soccer. So just as soccer fans and sports fans, that's something really to get excited about. Yes, couldn't agree more. Uh, once again, thank you very much. I've taken up far too much of your time. Um, have a good one. and We'll chat again soon. Thanks for having me, Peter. Always a pleasure. All right, that's the show. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you to Sandra for doing that. Uh, she's at her real job and just, yeah, I'll take a half hour phone call. So greatly appreciate her doing that. Um, hope you enjoy it. Again, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Really want to drive that home as that's the, the best way to kind of help this show grow. Um, follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Primetime Klein. YouTube, just search Couch Potato Diary. I am on Twitch at twitch.tv slash PK. If you haven't heard enough of me, A, two more dogs games this weekend and then three next week. Uh, so just check those out. I'll be tweeting out updates for sure, but also check out dogsbaseball.ca and just click watch live. And also, General History Podcast. We had no idea talking about indigenous history in this country. Um, obviously, a very difficult subject to get through, uh, but I'm really proud of the work that we were able to do on that one. Hope you like the show, and I'll talk to you guys Monday. I'm out.